0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLe <laughs> The world's longest running motorcycle
1: And welcome along to Midweek Motorsport It's just after 8 o'clock On a Wednesday evening Pitch black outside Hindhoff Towers At the moment uh, Which has an SQ10 outside of it At the moment Well actually it's not It's two um, SQ5s in, in fairness Yes Yes A silver one and a black one
2: That's right One, A black one Which has got all the toys on it And yours
1: Yes. Uh, Nick Damon is here. Uh, Good evening, Nick.
2: Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody.
1: And up in London is our executive producer, Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim.
3: Good evening, John.
1: Uh, Johnny Palmer is also up in London, but he's so far in the background that you won't be able to hear him at the moment. Hello, Johnny.
3: Yeah, I was right.
4: (laughs) Uh, And on a packed programme
3: tonight, Tim, we have what? We have all the usual features, except for apologies for absence, because we won't have time for that. We need to go straight into our first item.
1: Oh, okay. Can I just say hello to the editor of DailySportsCar.com, Graham Goodwin, is who is here as well? Good evening, Graham. Evening, all. Evening, John. Uh, it is a packed programme tonight, full of world champions. What's our first item tonight, Tim?
3: It's this. Oh, it
1: would be if I was uh, <laughs> I
0: on the right. The news that no one is talking about.
2: The stories that aren't reported
4: anywhere else.
0: And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Uh, now, this is
3: one that uh, Nick Damon is not going to be uh, qualified or happy to talk about. Uh, so I'm glad we have Graham Goodwin with us. <laughs>
5: uh, Go
3: on. It's about shed construction? The headline of rallying. this week's pointless press release of the week is Citroën reaffirms its commitment to the World Rally Championship.
6: Oh, good grief. This was a car crash of a press release. I read it. Oh, stop, stop, it stop,
1: stop. Hang on. We have to explain. Graham. many people might not know what you did in a previous life. Yes. But, but without going into too much detail, at the very highest level of British government, you were... Involved
6: in writing press releases, weren't you? I was indeed, for nearly 30 years, in fact, writing press releases for a wide bad. range of governments and uh, <laughs> public bodies, yes. Uh, so let's have a listen to this. Uh, Tim, fire away.
3: No, I'm not going to read it all out, uh, but Graham has read it. Uh, hmm. Graham, in what way will uh, Citroën be reaffirming its commitment to the World Rally Championship in 2016?
6: By leaving. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I'll just say this, Tim. It took me three times reading this press release to actually understand what actually it was saying because there's so much conflicting information. You have to really work hard to work out which bits are 2015, which are 16, which are 17. And uh, bit, it though. just looks like it's been written by a committee.
3: Mm. Uh, in the same press release, uh, they announced that they're leaving the uh World Touring Car Championship, but not until 2017, so they will still hang around uh, in there for a year. Uh, Now, obviously, Citroen is part of the same group as Peugeot, uh, and that, Graham, leads us on to sports cars, uh, because while they're reaffirming their commitment to uh, not take part in the World Rally Championship by being a part of the World Rally Championship... What does that mean for Peugeot's involvement in uh, Le Mans type sports car racing?
6: Well, in the least stunning piece of questioning ever, um, the uh, CEO of PSA, the Peugeot Citroen Group, on the French Turbo TV program, was asked the question about Le Mans, and uh, what he did was to lay out a uh, a roadmap, if you like, for Peugeot to come back. It's very clear that Persia would like to come back. It's equally clear they haven't got any money uh, to enable them to come back. So the the first part of it, of that roadmap is make lots more money than we currently have, which in itself is not going to work at the moment in the current economy. But beyond that, lots of kind of very common sense stuff uh, being said around uh, the kind of cost control agenda about technology. Uh, but it's very, very clear. That's if and when they come back, and I stress the if before the when, that they'd be coming back to the WEC and to Le Mans with an L M P one And that, I think, is it's good news in one regard and it one is. regard only today, is that it has attracted the attention of a factory team that you might imagine would be feeling fairly bruised about the whole affair.
1: Yeah, but we have spoken about this in previous weeks. And indeed, when we talked about Sebastian Loeb going to Peugeot to do uh, the uh, Rally Raid series a couple of weeks ago, I said then that uh, I'd been told from somebody at a very high level at Peugeot that they were still looking at uh, FIAWEC and lmp one By the way, Tim, a little bit more of you to the listener, please. Um, I I think it's interesting, though, Graham, that they've felt the need to spell out, if you will, the
6: situation that would have to exist before they would think of coming back. Uh, well, it just goes to show, I think this is what you're driving at, is that they have thought about uh, what would need to happen to get them back there. I think what they've seen is the... The level of exposure that this, this, the WEC has got potential for now and going forward, and why wouldn't he? I think? I guess the mm. point is here from their point of view, with a with a you know great record in sports car racing behind them in recent years, why wouldn't they want to be back? I mean, it really, was only money, only money, that kept <laughs> them from actually entering the WEC. Let's not forget, uh, dear listeners, that they pulled out just the weeks before. Um, the start of the WC in 2012, uh, you know, shock announcement. There was a shock to some of the Having, having the
1: lobbied very hard for a world championship. Correct. And then pulled out just as it happened.
6: Yeah. And You know, and OK, you know, we could we could sit here now and talk about a kind of um, almost an embarrassment of riches. We've got three top level um Sports car teams. We're going to have at least those three next year, and the very high likelihood, increasing likelihood, that Nissan will be back with a two-car effort for the full season. Then we talk about Persia. Then we talk about the longer-term prospects for something like BMW, if and when the regulations allow them to come with the kind of powertrain that they'd like to come to come with. And realistically, that's what you need to sustain this, because there is a reality is that the teams we currently have won't be there forever. Uh, So what you need is a line of progression, succession, call it what you will. And the fact that Peugeot are thinking along those lines and that BMW have have given a similar kind of statement, albeit not with the the financial restrictions placed, but actually technological restrictions. They don't want to come come to the WC with a hybrid. They'd like to come with a fuel cell on you know, an all electric kind of powertrain. I think this is a good place to be. It's not... Um, you know, feast and famine. We're looking here at, at uh, teams, manufacturers that might be interesting coming in two, three, five years. I've not missed four because I can't count, by the way. It's just a illustrative. But it's. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, th- I think that's a good place Fibonacci to be. I don't know sequence. what you think, John. But you know, you know, you and I have, have lived through a number of occasions where in sports car and GT racing, and, and frankly, a- across F1 as well for Nick, mm. where. We've seen, haven't we, what the economy can do to the vagaries of a factory No, no,
1: and that's absolutely right
6: and when Peugeot Peugeot annoyed
1: everybody uh, at the FI and the ACO with the timing of their pulling out I don't think anybody had an issue with the raison d'etre of doing it they were making people redundant it didn't look good in the national press in France that they were spending money on a lmp1 program the truth of it was of course the bulk of the money was already spent and to have kept running for at least a year or a couple of years would have not cost them very much more than they'd already spent but politically it was difficult however what i will say is if and when peugeot do want to come back despite them being a french team despite them being a french manufacturer and despite the ACO being French, there is still a, a knock-on effect because when, and Graham, you'll remember this, the day that this happened was a midweek motorsport day. Mm. And and we rang the ACO and the ACO were too annoyed to speak about it. <laughs>
6: <laughs> yeah, quite, well, I think everybody quite, was quite, quite annoyed. Simply, yeah, annoyed I, and shocked, I suspect. Yes. And I think it's... Look, at the end of the day, we do deal with very large budgets and yes. financial realities. And we've been going through the vagaries of the um, the outturn from the latest snafu in uh, automotive world with VW gates. And it becoming pretty clear that there are not going to be any immediate direct effects on the two VAG groups in LMP1. But that's not to say that when we start to into... We just call it group
1: into... now, lovey. Just group. Well, we don't put yeah. the V in it. Right, we don't bother with the V. It's Ad just group. No, no, the, it's just the, called group the, brands. We just call it group
6: brands now, the, love. The, the really important thing here, John, is that whilst we're okay for next year, it looks like that's, uh, that's going to be absolutely fine. What it doesn't uh, yet tell us is what effect it's going to have on the medium-term planning for the group in motorsports. Uh, whatever things are being said publicly by Volkswagen Audi Group, uh, sorry, Audi Group. Um, group the group, uh, group, senior, group, senior, group, group um, senior management. I can tell you, there are definitely lower level plans that have been parked. Oh yes, because we know of that. this. And I think you know that's it's what we're going to uh, look to as well. It yeah. does mean that we're not going to get the variety of motorsports out of the the group companies as things move forward over the next However, two, Grimm, three, five years.
1: the economic the economic realities of that is that you need to sell something like 33 Volkswagens to get the same amount of profit to the bottom line of the group as one Porsche. And it's, it's not quite as many um, in terms of Volkswagen to Audis, but Audi also contribute a huge amount to the bottom line of the group. And, and therefore, the programmes that Audi and Porsche are doing are less likely to be affected than anything that VW are doing. Right. I, I, I have heard no no seriously, I have heard a serious an absolutely serious proposal that Volkswagen will pull out of the United States completely if it becomes necessary to do so. And that is that's a remarkable thing to do so in terms of selling cars. And whilst that seems like a but ridiculous they shift millions of passats out there. Except they only, but for every every Porsche that they sell is thirty-three Passats. Okay. Every Audi that they sell is about uh, eighteen Passats or nineteen Passats. A so new international currency of the Passat. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Never mind Bitcoin. <laughs> Yes, indeed, indeed. So uh, let's before we get all excited. And today, or at least this week, uh, VW owners with the uh, the problem, I think it's is it called the AU18 engine out there. Um, they have been offered a thousand dollars today. Nothing for anybody else anywhere else in the world. They've, they've been offered a thousand dollars in
6: compensation. I can they? tell you, John, actually, because I've just looked it up while I've been on air uh, uh, in. January to October 2015, uh, in the USA, uh, Volkswagen Group sold 505,900 cars. Uh, and of those, uh, let's have a quick look. Oh,
1: excellent it does, it, excellent. It does no, tw- excellent wiki wikiage there. Yeah,
6: it doesn't, unfortunately, break down um, by region and brand. Uh, but it is just over half a million Volkswagen Audi Group cars, passenger cars, sold in... ...to the USA.
7: Mm.
1: Um, uh, You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's quarter past eight on a Wednesday night. Uh, Nick Damon and uh, also Graham Goodwin of DailySportsGuard.com along with me, John Hindorff, and our executive producer... Uh, tim gray so our pointless press release of the week then has kicked things off and moved us in a direction perhaps that we weren't uh, particularly expecting to go hello to rebecca jones on her way to the gym at the moment listening oh, in there too fit by about
6: life. time to in fairness <laughs> about to fights, really. stop it stop
1: it uh, hello to rob jana uh, and to james boyle and to alexander orkin and to sarah rigby who's uh, finished work tonight uh, as well rotation says giving that the now th- th- this this is rotation on aspect attainment. this is not me uh, given that the WTCC was pointless already could it be possible to be more pointless without Citroen? are there um,
3: degrees of pointlessness yes I'm not
1: sure yes
2: there are there's 360 degrees of
1: pointlessness it has um, a point
3: or it doesn't have a point
1: of uh, a blunt point um, well, right let's let's uh, move on Tim where do you want to go next I'd like to go to Bentley I'd like to go. To... In fact, funny enough, Graham and I are going to Bentley along with Ooh, uh, yep. with the responsible oh, adults. Oh, no, it's trip,
2: trip, trip, isn't it? it uh, is, Ingolstadt
1: it crew. Is, absolutely. I was in,
2: I was in crew that's last the glamorous week. Glamorous European location. I
1: see. It's Munich. Oh, is it Mun- Cologne? Munich, Munich crew. That's uh, yeah. that's our road trip. Uh, moving on, Bentley. What would you like to say about Bentley? Uh, Cologne? British GT. Right. Isn't New it... team. Well, Parker Racing. Even
6: like me to talk about it. Go on, Graham. Well, it's two cars. Team Parker Racing uh, with two car efforts in the British GT Championship. I have seen one of those cars. Uh, it's been complete for some little time, and uh, there's a picture of it on Daily Sports Car, in fact. Um, and also Blancpain Endurance Series with two cars. That's the really good news at the moment. Uh, Bentley's PR lady Rebecca Jones is punching her a fist in the air with glee on her way to the. Uh, chip shop sorry she, she, the gym she's just and, fought off the step machine the excitement absolutely <laughs> great news british gt championship first time we've seen the bentley brand back for over a year we had uh, an m sport run car for a part season we had the uh apple b engineering the generation bentley car for a part season um it didn't take off in in britain i know it's a market that uh that uh that uh the Bentley Motors guys are very, very keen to get stuck into. It does come with a bit of a kick in the backside at the back end of this announcement in the HTP Bentley, who were the lead customer team in Europe um, last, so this current season, 2015 season, uh, will not be continuing with the, with the brand. Now, I strongly suspect that that's got little or nothing to do with the quality of the Bentley mm. efforts because, of course, they came away with, uh, with titles this year. Uh, from Bentley and race wins in other series as well, but rather more to do with the fact that HTP have for many years been a Mercedes team, and there's a brand new AMG GT3. So my guess is that's why. But either way, great news, Team Parker Racing. I think rewards Stuart Parker and the guys for some great efforts in a number of races, a number of series uh, last year with the uh, Audi. One, I think I'm right, John, at Spa 24 hours in the AM class mm-hmm. and. Uh, I'm pretty certain, well, the team's championship last year in the AM class for the Blompen Endurance Series, and we'll be uh, going up to Pro AM this year in, in Blompen Endurance with two car efforts. So, really good news for Bentley. Great to see a high quality team taking a further step up the ladder. Uh, very sad that we're going to see the HTP guys park those Bentleys. Uh, let's wait and see what happens with the cars. They had five of them, um, and you know. The British GT championship seems to be moving from strength to strength. I suspect I suspect, Graham,
1: that we will find out more when uh we go to Bentley. Although in fairness, when the responsible adult went uh to the Bentley end of term uh, party or celebration last year and the HTP Uh, deal was mentioned there, there was an embargo on it, um, which most people managed to keep, um, including um, the the responsible adult. Uh, We may well find out about what's happening next year, but we might not be able to talk about it either, in fairness.
6: Uh, I'd actually heard it was an embargo, it's just that uh that the responsible adult was a bit irresponsible that night and couldn't remember what she'd been told. No, that's I, absolutely not
1: true. I'm going to say that right now. <laughs> and, and, uh, well,
2: he's safe in his shed many miles away, isn't, isn't
6: I got My wire's been pulled back towards the USB. I'm, I'm just, what a shame we'll never hear from uh, <laughs> uh, Graham again Goodwin again.
1: ever again. Ever again.
6: Oh, he's gone. He's gone completely. Oh, oh, is, he, no. is he still there?
1: Uh, oh, dear. Uh, you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, coming up to 20 minutes past eight in the evening at Specutainment, at Radio Le as well, of course. Uh, and uh, one more story before we move on, I think, uh, Tim, on our first guest. Have we? Oh, sorry, I thought you wanted to, to do something, or can we no. go straight? Right, well, in which case, the technology is with us, uh, and I am delighted to say, then, we, we promised tonight when we... Uh, we were previewing Midweek Motorsport. We would have a show of world champions, uh, one still to come later on uh, in the programme, who I spoke to earlier on in the week. But joining us now on the telephone, I'm delighted to say is an absolutely crucial member of the Porsche LMP1 919 hybrid team. Uh, and indeed, the man, I would suggest, who was... Uh, an important part of the success of the World Drivers' Championship this, year, Championship this year on the 17 car. We've spoken to the drivers. It's about time we heard from the guys who made the cars run. Good evening and welcome to Midweek Motorsport to Kyle Wilson Clark. Hello, Kyle. Hi there. How are you? I'm very, very well. Uh, first of all, congratulations uh, on behalf of, of all of us uh, to you and everybody who doesn't often get seen behind the scene. I, I, I know you're going to say it was a big team effort, but that's absolutely true, isn't it?
8: Oh, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's a, it's a massive team effort to get to what we've achieved here now. It's been a lot of hard work, uh, many, many hours, days testing, travelling to race tracks all over the world uh, to get us into a position where, we've uh, we've come away as world champions.
1: Looking back, it is quite remarkable to think that a year before you guys wrapped up the drivers' championship in Bahrain, you were you were clocking up only your first victory in the comeback year and this is only year 2. I mean the development and the way you guys have pulled together as a team in the the last 2 years but certainly in the last 12 months so that's that's quite remarkable. What what do you put that down to Kyle?
8: Well, I think it's just down to uh, incredible hard work and a dedication to wanting to make it succeed. Um I think as you as you mentioned it's a massive massive team effort and you really get that sense with with a team I mean I'm only joined them uh the start of uh, this year in January and I I've, I've been lucky to see them grow so much in in this short time you know I've I've only been with the team now for 11 months and you do really get that sense it's a young team um and they're working incredibly incredibly hard to to make sure the results come in and yeah the results have paid off
1: the the drivers that you've been looking after on the the 17 car Timo Bernhard, well, needs no introduction. And both the other two, Brendan Hartley and Mark Webber, have described him as the glue that's put that together. How important, from your point of view, on the other side of the pit lane, is it to have someone like Timo who knows which way is up, if you like?
7: Well,
8: I think experience goes a massive, massive long way. Um, It's being able to remain calm, uh, knowing times where endurance racing it's, it's not a sprint race even though I guess we are almost at a point now where all our races are sprints of of some kind but you do need to understand to be sympathetic to the machinery you're working with uh, understanding how the, the balance is going to evolve over a longer run over a, a race like Le Mans for example where you're running in the heat of the day in the cold of the night in the day in the light understanding those parts of intricate details um, which you know, it only comes with experience, having been doing it for many, many years. And, you know, I worked with Timo several years ago and um, he's, he's got an intimate knowledge of all of that and has got yeah, a, specific under, a fantastic understanding of endurance racing.
1: And the two Antipodeans that you've worked with, the Kiwi, Brendan Hartley, yeah. and the Aussie, Mark Webber, at opposite ends of the driver experience spectrum, Brendan still very much starting out on his career. Mark's pretty much done... Everything, including, of course, everybody looks at his Formula One career, but let's not forget where he started in sports cars and, and in Formula Racing before that and here in the UK in Formula yep. Ford. I remember that very well indeed. It's often been said, Kyle, that these cars that we have the pleasure of of watching and talking about are the most technologically advanced motor racing cars in, in the world. How important is it therefore to get the right form of words the right language if you will between drivers like brendan and mark and to a certain extent timo as well to 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 be able to have a conversation just about what the car's doing and and how you and your team can make it better for them
7: yeah
8: that's that's an interesting question actually i mean everyone's got their own way of describing how the car behaves how um specific the nuances are of the car um so it's it comes with knowledge and it comes with experience with with the crew um it's not something you pick up from day one because everyone's got a slightly different way of describing something and one driver might use the same words but you understand that he means it slightly differently and that only comes with working together and and getting an intimate understanding of what exactly the driver is trying to tell you and that's incredibly important i mean These cars are incredibly complicated, as you touched on, and they're incredibly technical. Um, Everything's highly interlinked with each other in terms of energy management um, and those kind of things that, yeah, it's it's not a straightforward puzzle in some ways to get the the optimum, optimum out of it.
1: And that's the key getting the optimum out of it, uh, absolutely ringing every last piece of performance because the competition this year, a lot of people would look, certainly the second half of the season, and and we'll talk about what it takes to put together that sort of four-race winning streak that you guys did in a moment, but... It was by no means, even when you guys were winning those four races, you weren't winning them by three, four, five laps. You mentioned it being a a sprint race. So optimising everything at every turn and executing has got to be spot on. You can't leave anything on the table nowadays.
8: No, definitely not. Definitely not. I mean, that comes back to making sure you run the right strategy in terms of tyres. Making sure it, it comes back to when you're developing the cars to... Doing the tire testing, it's making sure you're selecting the right compounds that Michelin is providing, the options for making sure that you've got every little box ticked at the pit stops to make sure everything's perfectly, you know, perfectly synchronized. The guys aren't making any mistakes. Um, everything's got to run completely smoothly, and yeah, it's, it's it's a it's a big aspect to everything in terms of the car being technically sound. So mm. um, you don't have any mechanical issues. The guys in the pit stops perfectly. The guys on track not making any uh, mistakes. And so the car's easy enough to drive, but certainly fast. Uh, making sure that they're taking the, the calculated risks in traffic. I mean, the list is endless. It's not just a case of produce a fast car and you're going to win. There's, there's a much, much more to that. And luckily we have produced an incredibly great car this year. And it has been very fast, but it, it does require a lot more than that, even once you've got to that stage.
1: Just... Before we talk about the season, and and it kind of breaks up quite nicely, the season this year, and particularly in in terms of the the performance level of of your car, the 17 car. But before we get to that, I just want to go slightly back and just touch on that setup. We are very, very familiar with people talking about bump and rebound, spring Mm rates, aero, push, loose, understeer, oversteer. How much of that are you still talking about now and how much of your time when you're debriefing with the drivers or planning even before you turn a wheel at event is about how the systems interact? Because, as we've said, incredibly complicated. Porsche run two energy recovery systems, which is different mm-hmm. to everybody else. Um, and you know, so how much of your time is taken up with what I would call traditional engineering and how much is systems management and optimization?
8: I think that the biggest way to differentiate between the two would be before the event and then during the event. Um, before the event, you, you have a good idea of where you're going to start mechanically with the car. You've got a starting setup, as it were. But then you're doing all your homework in terms of the system side, energy management side, and that's all then being simulated, uh, you know. So when you get to the event, you've you've got a mechanical setup on the car and you've got what you believe is then the best energy management Profile or, yeah, energy management strategy, we can call it. So you've got to event with that, and that is on paper the most efficient. You'll find that when you get to the track, there might be small adjustments based upon track conditions, based on weather conditions, uh, based upon uh, competition perhaps, but that's all little tweaks. Um, So you'll be doing that. But I think then refer back to your sort of more nuts and bolts engineering of, the setup of the car, that obviously has, a, has a, as an impact as well, making sure you're, you're running the correct area level, perhaps you've done a compare between two cars, making sure you're still doing the correct tyre compares, making sure, yeah, there's all sorts to it as well. Yeah, I mean, I try and split it up in, in between the two, and um, I don't think there's one clear answer between the two, but... um yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a puzzle when you try and piece it all
1: together. And not a lot of time in the WAC. What, four hours of, of free practice and then you're into qualifying and, and immediately you're into qualifying, you're into tyre allocation as well. So four hours of practice to do all the stuff that you need to do, that is actually quite a compressed timescale, I would have thought. Yeah, it sounds like quite
8: a lot to some people, but when you then got three drivers... Um, so you split that time amongst three drivers to get them all up to speed um, to have relevant test items and to do the test items cleanly. Um, you are quite kind of hard pressed, especially when you compare, say, Bahrain, where we've just raced now, where um, one of one of the test sessions was equivalent to the race start time, yeah. one's equivalent to race end time, so that's useful. Very. But free practice three for us was out I was completely out of the window. So you're driving in conditions that you're not actually going to see in the race at all. So you need to try and work out how that balance of the car the driver gives you, how that relates to how it's going to be in the race. So it's not that straightforward in many ways. Yeah, You're right, it's not that much time, even though it does sound like it. That's have got point. a lot of items to
1: cover. I hadn't thought about that, having to think about when those free practice sessions are and what you can do that's relevant in those times. That's very that's, yeah. a, that's a further complicating factor. Um, add to that, there's been a couple of circuits this year that kind of haven't behaved as we expected to. Um, obviously, there's been weather involved as well, but even taking that into consideration, certainly uh, Fuji and Shanghai, the track surfaces didn't behave as we've seen them behave in the past, and that that just throws another joker into the park.
8: Yeah, most definitely. I think the biggest thing that you said was, was the weather. Um, with the energy energy management side of things, you, you need to be smart, and all the sessions that have run so far were in the dry, so I know as a fact how difficult it is to get the car to then operate at the high level in the different weather conditions, so especially in the rain, for example. Having not practised it, going straight into the race starting the races behind the safety car, both those races actually behind the safety car, yeah. it, it does throw a, a, another aspect to it all. And then we've, on the pit side, got to make sure we've got the car in the, in the correct condition. And, yeah, we adapt to the, to the changing conditions as much as possible.
1: I said we could relatively easily split the season up into three parts, not necessarily three equal parts. But the first two races of the year, Silverstone and Spa, probably didn't go exactly... To plan um, after no, your, you went and joined there at the, as you say at the at the start of the year, I can't imagine that after the first two races you would have thought that you'd have been where you were. Talk about the frustration of of those. Don't expect any trade secrets, but just you know <laughs> where, where you were after Silverstone, then going to Spa before you went to Le Mans. Yeah, well,
8: I mean Silverstone, as you say, we were leading the race at the time. Um, it was all going very well unfortunately we had uh issues with the gearbox which um took us out of the race and, and we had the first first race with the dnf then not scoring any points obviously uh makes your life harder for the rest of the, for the rest of the season um going to spa again we had we were leaving the race again <laughs> second time round and had some issues again and we um we lost quite a bit of uh time making an unscheduled stop um luckily enough we still managed to finish the race we finished on the on the podium with a P3, which was a good recovery. Um, but having displayed good pace up to that point, it was very disappointing not to be, yeah, not to be certainly higher up the, the podium. Um, so, yeah, that w- that was frustrating. But then going to Le Mans, bearing, bearing in mind, we had had two n- non-ideal results. We, our result or our target was really, really clear to make sure the car made it to the end, and uh, we, we didn't have any downtime. And we managed to do that. Uh, we got a P2 at Le Mans. Uh, we'd like to have ended up higher up, but luckily it was one of our sister cars that won the race. And, uh, yeah, we're incredibly proud of what the Car19 guys did there. Is
1: it is it fair to say that... Because we see the drivers more often than we see you guys and the rest of the technical team. We see their frustration and their disappointment. When you are preparing for what is undoubtedly the biggest race of the season in terms of how many people watch it. It's also, let's not forget, a double points race for the championship. Mm-hmm. How hard is it for you to pick yourselves up as a squad to be able to go to what you know is going to be the hardest week and a half, two weeks of your year, when you haven't had the results that you perhaps your pace deserved in the first two races? Well, I think you,
8: you said it exactly there. When our pace was, was at the level it was, we, we had high expectations. We we knew it was certainly possible. So it just meant that we had to come back from each of those races, really analyse what had gone on and and make the correct changes to make sure that we were back at the level where we expected to be and wanted to be. Mm. So, um, yeah, I think this, this level of motorsports, I mean, any level of motorsports, you're only as good as your last race, your last championship, and you, you need to make sure that you're fully on top of things to make sure you do get those those decent
1: results. One or two little detailed changes to the car across the season. Of course, at Le Mans, we, we expect that. Second half of the season, really, after Le Mans, is where you guys really shone. And we have mentioned it, but that four-race winning streak, Kyle, I mean, absolutely extraordinary the way it all came together so well. Slightly different aero. We went down to... Nurburgring, uh, great racing again. Let, let's not forget the competition made a, a, a good race of it as well. But those four back to back victories before Bahrain, which we'll leave as the third part of the season, because you could almost make a season review <laughs> out of that one race alone. Um, that must have been, first of all, very satisfying just to see the results, but the manner in which you achieved them, because your competition pushed you very hard, particularly in Shanghai, tactically, they they pushed you into a, perhaps almost into a place you didn't want to go, but you did get four race wins on the bounce, tremendously satisfying, I would have thought.
8: Oh, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, the first race after Le ring. Um first time we've returned to Nürburgring for endurance racing for, for many years, and uh, to take home a, a Porsche one-two was—I mean—that we were over the moon. Having come away from Le Mans, having, as you said, brought a new era kit uh, to, to the racetrack, having demonstrated how superior, superior we were, and to come away with a one-two—I mean, that, that was that was fantastic. Um, and then moving on through to Austin, the guys did a fantastic job. The guys of car 18 were incredibly fast. Both Porsches up at the front. Unfortunately, they had issues. Um, but we were there to, to take up, take the lead and, and, and take the win there. That was the second one. Uh, the third one in, in Fuji uh, was, was tricky conditions. We mentioned already, we started buying a safety car. Really, really tough weather conditions. And, um, yeah, we came away with the win again. Um, and then Shanghai was in the fourth one, and it, it felt like it was an absolute dream. Um, and, well, our target was really clear after Fuji um, how... We could potentially win the championship. We had to get pole at every race we went to, and we had to win the race as well to really take the fight to Audi. And that's what we did. We, we got maximum points, um, and yeah, things couldn't have gone any better up to that point.
1: I thought tactically, the the battle that you had with the the seven car at. Um, Shanghai, in particular, was enthralling. I mean, great speed on the track from both of you. There was some side-by-side racing. But tactically, yeah. I mean, uh, give the competition its due, from my point of view, they pushed you very, very hard there. But you reacted, and, and you had... That. I don't, I'm not sure, feel free to, to not answer this, but I'm not sure that was your plan A as we got towards the end of the race. Did, did Audi push you into a place that you perhaps hadn't expected to be? No, I think I wouldn't say
8: we got pushed into a place. I think, in terms of uh, tyre strategy, it's relatively straightforward when conditions are just improving. Um, things become a lot more complicated when weather is playing a stronger part yeah. in terms of drying and then heavier rain again and then drying because you can really get caught out. And if you're at the wrong time coming into the pits, based upon where you are in your fuel tank, it can really catch you out. Yeah. So this was a little more, a little straightforward in terms of conditions were just improving throughout the whole race. They made the jump. They had to make the jump because they were behind and, and had had to try something. And as soon as we saw what they had done, we could, we could adapt accordingly. And I, I wouldn't say that they, they pushed us into places we were uncomfortable with. I think it was, we had nothing, no risk to take at this point and We were able to, to monitor it from a further afar and and then and, and take make we'll make the right decision
1: afterwards. I, I'd say well, that brings us to Bahrain. The mm. the manufacturers championship, the world championship for makes, is already in the pocket. Porsche have yeah, got fine. that. That's a great car sticker. They've got the Le Mans winning sticker as well. That's that's pretty good too. It hasn't, however, been as you mentioned, a completely. Seamless and perfect season. A couple of little reliability niggles. Uh, some on the more traditional parts of the car, like gearbox that that you've mentioned. Uh, we had that now infamous Juliet six, whatever that means, and we still don't know. I don't expect. <laughs> I don't expect you to tell me either. But that was on the 18 car at at Quarter. So you come into Bahrain. It's a pretty. Simple piece of arithmetic for you guys, and you went out and won the pole position. And people might people might think that that was what? Well, why put all that effort into there? One or two, even some changes on the car to ensure you've got pole position there. But that one point was crucial in terms of where you could then finish the race if you had any problems. And of course, that point you didn't know what was going to happen.
8: No, you, you always run, assuming. Well, you try and cover every eventuality. I mean, with this racing, nothing's as straightforward as it, as it can be. <laughs> um, and we, yeah, we really found that out the hard way in some ways. But because we did our extra work with, you know, consolidating some pole positions early in the year, and look how many few or how few points the the, the championship came down to—just five at the end. And if you look at how many pole positions we had, then that obviously pays a, a big part of it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly true. Uh, I mean, I could barely breathe in the commentary box. I have no idea what you guys were feeling after 17 laps when Timo comes in with a, a car that's not moving very well you obviously can see the telemetry, he can give you feedback, and there's, there's a throttle problem, a throttle actuator problem. Um, exactly, yeah. you, uh, you know, uh, it's not a cable probably nowadays, but you guys immediately have to go to work and fix that. And the question, I mean, you can't practice for every eventuality, Kyle. So how do you, th- that problem there, how do you go about assessing it and solving it and getting the car out in eight and a half minutes as you did?
8: Well, yeah, you, you're analysing what's going on before the car even comes in cause you don't want to come in and, until you know it's something that it's got, you can fix in some ways. Mm. But obviously with how much we were limping right then, we were completely down on power. So we had to come in. Um, the guys assessed the problem. They'd seen roughly which part of the engine or where the issue was. They got to work straight away, um, found the issue, and um, they came up with a solution which,
1: in all honesty, we weren't sure would get us to the end. Now, did, uh, but, I, I'm going to ask the question. Forgive. Yeah. Did it involve tie wraps? Uh, I'm, I'm not
8: going to. I'm not going to deny that, but um, <laughs> it was definitely not the most engineer, engineered solution. And yeah, it, it was. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, definitely a hair-raising moment. uh, Well, I'd
1: say quite the reverse. uh, I think that was the perfect engineering solution. (laughs) Somebody assessed the situation and good old-fashioned 21st century logic and old-fashioned, proper old-fashioned endurance racing, what can we do to get this car back out again and start ticking off some more laps? If we have to make another fix, let's think about that. And I'm sure that's exactly what you were doing as Timo went out... Eight and a half minutes later, you were thinking, right, if that happens again, what can we do to yes. make a longer fix? But he's buying us some time. And my goodness, he went and did a 31-lap stint that was extraordinary. So at that point, oh, yeah. you guys have you've seen the problem, you've fixed it to a point, fingers perhaps a little bit crossed, but then after 31 laps, do you are you almost breathing a sigh of relief at that point?
8: No, <laughs> there was no sighs of relief to the checkered flag, i tell you that much. It was... Uh... It was, yeah, really touch and go the whole way through. Um, as I said, we, we weren't 100% confident that we'd, we'd get to the end. Um, but then when Timo got out again, I mean, his pace was sublime. I mean, mm-hmm. we were fastest car on track. Um, and the car wouldn't have been easy to drive at that time either. So from lap 17 till when we came in for our second unscheduled shot, the car was pretty difficult to drive, Um but I just told the guys and we told the guys just to get their head down hmm. and, and put the times in and um yeah we had we had to just push as hard as we could uh, so The number 7 car was going strong at that point and we needed some help as well from from our sister car which well they did a fantastic job the guys of car 18 they deserved a, a fantastic result they've been right there the whole time they've been unlucky at sometimes and, uh, yeah, I'm really,
1: really happy for those guys to, to, to end the race on the top step. Yeah, they've had a lot of bad luck this year. They, they really deserved that Indeed. one. It looked for a long time, Kyle, that you might have to catch and make up three laps on at least one of the Toyotas. And it, yeah. it was going... I mean, look, I don't have the predictive software or the brain size of Paul Truswell, but my back-of-a-piece-of-paper calculations were pretty much... On the same as him, it was within forty seconds either way, which is a, a margin of error that is built into the software. Quite frankly, as to whether you guys yep. could do that with with four and a half hours, uh, uh, with an hour and a half gone and four and a half hours to go, um, and that was before you had the the second problem. Of course, Audi tripped themselves up as well with the uh, with the eight car. But at that stage, your your goal had to be to pass a Toyota. And, I mean, how, how do you even – your your job is clearly keeping the car running and getting everything else, but it's also about managing your driver talent and talk to them. What I am always amazed about you and all of the people who do your job is you seem so calm. There was a calmness about when you went about that throttle problem with everybody in the pit lane. There was a calmness when you were telling Mark about the further issues. Do you have to work on that? Because – I get excited just at the thought of it. I mean, okay, that's that's my job. But how do you manage to keep yourself under control? Um, <laughs>
8: easier said than done, I'd say. <laughs> um, but you've got to. You've got you've got to stay calm. Um, at the end of the day, being a race engineer, you you're a leader of some kind to the whole team. Um, they're the one that they they're here on the radio, and if you're if you're calm and, and sort of putting an air of calmness and, and stillness about the whole thing and trying to treat the problem as another problem as another day and not making it the championship-winning race, which it was. It's one of those things. It's it's not easy to do. Um, But then equally, the the mechanics that repaired the car did a fantastic job. And, yeah, because of their quick thinking and their hands-on knowledge and experience, that's that's what got us to the end. Yeah,
1: absolutely agree. And there's Mark Webber having to get into the car for pretty much a Grand Prix length, certainly three-quarters of a Grand Prix length, with an injured car. And, uh, again, don't expect you to give away any trade secrets. But a further problem, we heard you talking to him on the radio talking about the issues with the hybrid harvesting. At that point, did you even know whether the car was was well enough to get home? And, And if you can quantify it, just how close was it to not getting home? Because the engine stopped a couple of times, which must have given you an absolute heart attack.
8: Um, Yeah, the first time it certainly did. Uh, Then we kind of understood what had caused it. Uh, The the guys uh, in front of all the computers, like you said, taking all the telemetry, were Mm -hmm. incredibly fast to react, working out exactly what had gone gone wrong.
1: So at that um, point, do you tell the driver to modify his driving style so he doesn't come so far off the throttle or he doesn't drop the revs down or whatever it was that was causing it?
8: Well, I guess you you heard me on the radio. It sounds uh, pretty well informed by what you said just then. Yeah, exactly.
1: Educated Um, guess.
8: (laughs) Yeah, so we we try and tell the driver what had gone gone wrong and how how we can then try and prevent the issue from happening again. And we did. Um, And as a result, yeah, the the car, especially after the second repair, was incredibly difficult to drive, as you could probably see from the lap times. We we dropped off quite heavily by this point, but... um, We had 38, 39 laps to do at that point. And, well, yeah, the target was clear, get her home. And and we we managed
1: to do that. It can't be good for the car at that stage. And I'm sure that's not something that you've ever simulated. I I mean, one more lap, two more laps, five more laps, or could it have been, it could have stopped at any time? Do you really just not know that, that, that situation? You're just thinking, please keep going, please keep going, please keep going.
8: Definitely. Please keep going.
1: <laughs> there's, there's, there's no way you could
8: really know the fixes we'd made as, as to what and how long they would last. Um, and yeah, with the lap times dropping off as much as we had, the, the cast, occasionally it was touch and go. And yeah, you couldn't write a Hollywood script in, in doing that. If you, if you saw the film, you wouldn't believe it. You'd say it would never happen. and I tell you what, it felt very real on the pit wall, and it did happen. So. Yeah, <laughs> I still can't believe when I look back at the sequence of events. In many ways, uh,
1: Porsche have done an incredible job in two years coming back into the championship. Of course, the project we know started before that, but two years of competition is is not a huge amount of time in in this day and age. You've seen them develop over the last eleven, twelve months as as you rightly uh, pointed out earlier on. It's you know it's a, a huge team effort. Is it more, in some ways, more satisfying that at the last race of the season you wrap up the last championship in such a dramatic way or would it have been better for everybody if you'd just driven off into the distance and won by five laps?
8: I think my heart would have uh, <laughs> saved a few years if we had just run <laughs> off into the distance. Um, i certainly feel like feeling older for it. Um, uh, yeah, I, w- I would never wish that drama upon anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah it's, it's i mean it's like i said i' am I'm incredibly proud for the guys of car 18 because um they deserve the win at some point so it's it's fantastic to see them on the top step. I'd always like my car to be on the top step um but as it as it wasn't gonna happen very early into the race we needed them to help us out and they did that um but yeah you could never predict or or want that much tour. i certainly wouldn't as a as someone who's attached to one of the cars i guess as spectators or fans of the sport it's it's fantastic and makes a a great story so um, I think it depends on which side of the fence you sit well
1: I'll tell you what mate I I have no idea how you were feeling because I was hyperventilating like mad in the first (laughs) hour or so and then again right at the end it's a tremendous story like you say Um, write the Hollywood script it would get rejected for being too fictitious a phenomenal first year for you uh, with Porsche. Uh, like I know that there's no off-season. The work's already started for next year. Right. And I, I suppose you, like everybody else, are, are looking towards that already. Silverstone is not that far away, 140-odd days before the cars are rolling again. And a, a season for you guys that will consolidate what you've had this year. And you must know that there's there's new cars and new technology coming from your competitors. So you can't rest on your laurels, can you?
8: Oh, no, definitely not. Um, we, it just means we need to be sharper in all the things we've learnt this year um, in terms of strategy, in terms of operation side of things. Um, if we're sharper in all those things, perhaps we can take it back to, to our competitors again. Um, but yeah, as, you, as you mentioned, they'll be bringing new cars. Um, we, we've essentially got the same car, uh, albeit small changes as you always imagine. Um but uh, yeah, we're the ones to be chased at the moment, and they need they need to up their game to yep. to, to bring it to us in some ways. So yeah, it's not going to be easy. But they've got a lot to learn as well. They're mm-hmm. changing technology types, so um,
1: yes, good point.
8: Yeah, that that always has a, has a small impact in, on how you you operate. And um, we've got uh, one solid year of understanding under our belt, and it means that we can then work on some of the smaller, finer details. Yeah and hopefully still maintain big gains from those smaller details um because yeah that's what will keep us ahead
1: yeah that you've perfectly anticipated what was going to be my last my last question to you Kyle uh, you know is that where the the big gains we've seen ridiculous gains in in lap times this year got a feel for people like mm. Toyota who you know beat their own lap record, I think, at Shanghai by two and a half seconds, and were fifth and sixth. I mean, this is extraordinary times for world-class world championship motor racing. You've, you have now got a year under your belt with eight megajoules. You can't increase that. Is it now just about understanding what you've learned this year, putting it into practice, taking it forward, and, and literally honing everything to ninety nine point nine 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 percent of of its optimum?
8: Yeah, I mean, we thought we were there or thereabouts anyway. So, just means you have to look that little bit harder, um, look for the small gains we can have, and make sure we're we're incredibly sharp. You know, like you say on on, on strategy, uh, making sure that well the car's fully reliable because that that could have cost us. Uh, mm. We had a couple of issues that did cost us this year, and uh, yeah, if that if that wasn't the case, I think we'd have kind of run away with it a little yes. earlier in the season. True. So, if you do look at it. In that respect, um, reliability when you've got a new car is always harder. Um, you're still learning a lot, and if we now have one years racing under our belts, um, we should have had a, a lot of issues sorted, and where our competitors may may struggle a little bit with it. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to it.
1: Pass on our best to everybody. Um, I hope you realise that the the quality of the uh, of the entertainment that uh, you and your colleagues, as well as your competitors, of course, have, have given us this indeed. year, but also the appreciation, I think, that the the wider audience have uh, for you, everybody else on the pit lane, and the guys and ladies who work so hard in getting these uh, fabulous machines out so that we can be entertained. Carl and Clark from Porsche, thank you very much indeed, and congratulations on being part of a World Championship winning
0: team. Thank you very much. Lo decías en español. Olé. for Midweek Motorsport.
1: Very exciting.
3: Very stinting. Tim. Mi malteada trae a todos los chicos la Dadford Road. ya e eles les gustan. Es mejor que las tuya. Demonios, mejor que las tuya. Te podré enseñar, pero te tendré que cobrar.
2: Well, we've gone back to 1981.
1: Is there anything about the tie wraps that Kyle was just talking about? I love tie wraps. You no, do? Didn't don't you
2: did
3: mention the £4 pound lump her. No,
2: we've gone back to 1981 because there's Toya twice not wearing her bra. Okay. Why? In the Dadford Road.
1: Right. On the Dadford Road, On yes. On the Dadford
2: Road, Toya is there without her bra.
1: Yeah, well, that's a mystery.
2: <laughs> it's a mystery. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> oh,
3: she wants to be free. This is uh, the story of uh, Force India's new test driver. Is it? Yes. It's not Toya, then. It's not Alfonso Calis. Right. This is not how news in Spanish works, Tim. Have you not? Well, you weren't guessing it, were you?
2: Well, I think you were. I think we got absolutely completely. The whole point
3: is that we never get it, though, isn't
1: it?
2: We we get the underlying current.
3: You usually get the underlying current of uh, the news in Spanish, but you didn't realise that...
2: Uh, you only gave us two lines.
3: I gave you an entire first verse. <laughs> a song now, is
2: it?
7: <laughs> yes. Right, My t-
3: milkshake t- brings t- 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 the boys t- to the Dadford yeah. Road.
2: Really? Is that what, I asked, what was his name again? Alfonso? That it? was Kellis.
1: Very yes.
3: good.
2: Calis. Oh. You Calis. Know, I'm sorry, but I'd like to point out that any musical references post 1999 are pointless for me.
3: Yes, clearly. Once
2: once Oasis split up, that was it. <laughs> uh, that
3: that's was. When I started taking notes in '98. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Formula One. Uh, young driver test.
2: Yes, that's great because they can all test their cars, but no one's allowed to know what they do because it's all behind closed doors. Uh, yes, Cause the twelve-hour Pirelli Let's Play with Our New Purple Tires test uh, comes on Tuesday.
3: So it's all behind closed doors. So you know nothing.
2: Well, I, I no-one will know anything, because I won't be officially, and uh, so people are paying money to test the cars, which they can't then kind of capitalise on. That makes sense.
3: Uh, so moving on to Formula One and engines.
2: Yes, and the return in spirit of Max Mosley. John. What did Max Mosley used to do as his plans to get his own way? Shout very loud and make a big noise over here
1: so that something could happen over
2: here. What he would do is he would make a really extreme statement. Like, for example, we're gonna going to
1: stop you having tyres on the car. Yeah. There will be no tyres on the car whatsoever. Well, you can't possibly do that. All right, you can have four tyres for the weekend. Okay, yeah, Hard thank Oh, yeah.
2: great. Thank goodness for that. We're not going to let you have any engines ever again? Oh, hello, we need an engine. No, no, no. But it'll be like Flood Fritz. Still a V8, then. Yeah, fine, we'll it's love fine. A V8. Right That's great. Yeah. So the F5 have done that again. Because only a week ago, they issued a, <laughs> uh, uh, a tender for people who make normal sort of engines without hybrid power chains. And they got four bids in to make a 2.5 litre engine from uh, amongst us AER and Ilmore. And then on uh, uh, Tuesday, uh, the Formula Strategy Group and the Formula Commission said, no, we cannot have those engines. But the FI had wanted those engines to save money and to make engines more available for smaller teams. But interestingly, they've come to this sort of agreement now that they, the teams, because they haven't got to put up these horrible new t- dual-level engines, they've guaranteed the supply of power units, they're going to lower the cost of the power units, they're going to simplify the specifications, and they're going to make them noisier. And they're going to do all this in a month. Well, I just say in the 15th of January. And if they don't do it, well, we're going to keep the other alternative engine on the back boiler because that's the way you do it. You see, it's 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 you know, it's a fabulous uh, old-fashioned bit of Bernie and Max to get their own way um, and basically get engines that will do it. Will be a bit cheaper, supplied to everybody, uh, slightly noisier, and theoretically, um, the whole world will be better in F1
1: now because they've had this bit of a standoff. Or possibly not. Yes, or nothing will change. <sighs> um, I, I, what is happening with with um, Red Bull throwing their toys out of the plan what, uh, out of the pram? What what's their plan this week? Whose engines have they got this week?
2: They've got the Renault engines, and they have they'll have unbadged Renault engine next year. Their sulkiness has cost them a lot of money. But do, that doesn't matter to a multi-billionaire.
1: Do you think that part of the paddock's general malaise towards Red Bull? Mm is that they don't eat all of them, <laughs> is that uh, there were... No. no. <laughs> Gingerbread biscuits. Uh-huh. Kersley cushy. Uh-huh. Oh. Uh, Fiffy News, sorry. Yeah, um, that th- there were... Effectively, they were the scabs. They were the blacklegs. They, they were the ones bit. who broke up the Formula One Teams Association by taking the filthy Luca from Bernie, weren't they?
2: Basically, no one likes them. They didn't right. like them because they were they were blacklegs, and they didn't like them because they were successful. And they <laughs> I didn't was like using
1: them, that as a... I didn't and they necessarily didn't like mean them, that to they me. didn't
2: like them because they were completely non-gracious, and, they didn't, and then no-one wants to do work with them because they just dropped their partners in the um, the doo-doo. So they have reaped what they have sown. Okay. Um, uh, you, and it's you, cost them money, which, interestingly, obviously for them is an issue, really. All right. Uh, <laughs> naughty boy
3: news. To... Oh, very
1: quickly, yes.
2: yes.
3: Uh, Dan Tickterm has been a naughty boy, as I... uh, we reported before, and uh, now he has been banned from motorsport for 2 years. Yes, so had to NASCAR. Boom, boom, uh <laughs> and did he,
2: did he pass past 13 yellow flags, two red flags, a safety car and someone else to hit this guy. Uh,
3: yes, he once he'd uh, overtaken the entire field to get himself up to 3rd. He was then going around Woodcote and decided to take another car off onto the grass before rejoining, speeding past the remaining uh, car in front of him and the safety car and uh, going into the pit lane. Excellent,
2: and um, it's good to see that he managed to get MSA Formula in the news for all the right reasons. Let's have 16-year-olds driving more often. Uh,
1: so really, the only thing he didn't hit was the safety car, just like in... Then Desert he got back, he, he stole his friend's moped,
3: would, went down the shops, did some shoplifting. He would probably have uh, hit the safety car as well uh, had uh, he not been going into the pits. Uh, the other naughty boy, Hordy uh, Genet. What's George he done? a boy. He destroyed... He's not a boy, no. He destroyed... Uh, Rob Huff's uh, weekend. No, Rob Huff just wins everything in Macau. That's what he does. That's that's always the script. Until Janae took him out.
2: Where to? The, the nightclub got him a bit you know, worse for wear. <laughs> couldn't drive. Hands? Yeah, and basically came out. Oh, I can't drive. Said Huff. You can't drive. Oh no, i just can't even focus. Heavy night with Yordi. Uh,
3: the crash took out more than half the field. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's a smart. Hang on, that's just a normal crash for Macau.
3: Mm-hmm. yes that's true but this one wasn't at Lisboa this one was uh, at the left hand uh, at um, I've forgotten which corner it is now
2: um, Dangerous
3: it's not called First Corner Johnny. it is the first corner, it the first corner. It, it's called Fisherman's Bend or something
1: Have no, you heard, having, now a,
2: having now officially heard Johnny in the background I need to ask a question has Johnny left your house since last week no he hasn't
4: since it's, am I am I on this one
3: you are on that one
4: since which, which, well,
3: which turn sign? them up to us
4: then how, when was the last time you left Tim's house? Uh, 1854. Thursday morning. Yeah. He says came, that. I came back Friday night, and I've been <laughs> here since Saturday. Grief.
1: There's, there's no way of bringing
2: Are you that.
4: actually paying rent?
3: He ought I, to I, be. I think
4: he wants me
1: to. it's uh, so Johnny Palmer and Tim Gray, who are up in London. Nick Damon and Graham Goodwin is still here as well, aren't you, Graham? I certainly am. Right? And there'll be more from them in the second half of tonight's programme. Midweek
0: Motorsport. Time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up.
1: Uh, well, if you're watching uh, and uh, watching BT Sports tweet in the UK, their halftime report uh, all came from last night. So I could do last week's just to keep us up to date with them, but I'll not. I'll tell you, in the next uh, 60 minutes of the programme, we'll have another world champion, an exclusive... A world exclusive here on Midweek Motorsport. We'll have our Man of the Year awards, which will include Johnny Palmer's submissions for the first time for our Irish spec Man of the Year show, and more of your tweets at specutainment, at Radio Le Mans. Uh, And oh, there'll be more news as well. It's all to come in the next sixty minutes here on Midweek Motorsports.
0: It's live at Midweek Motorsport on Radiolamon.com
1: Tim Greer is up in London. I, I
0: am. Have
2: one, I have one point hanging over from pre, prior to the still yes, to come. Yes, far away. I now have an image in my mind that Johnny and Tim are like Morecambe and Wise sharing a double bed and one of them smoking a pipe.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Neither of us smoke a pipe and Johnny gets a double bed all to himself. <laughs> I want to know what you do with your fruit Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> there have been a lot of questions from listeners. <laughs> I don't like grapefruit. But you know why I said that, don't
1: you? Yes. Exactly. Uh, uh, apparently apparently the first corner at Macau is called Reservoir,
3: but no, nobody knows.
1: Is, is that, is that yeah. where the dogs
2: are?
3: Uh, reservoir is the uh, straight leading into it. Okay. Um, the, there have been lots of questions from listeners. Mm-hmm. Asking about the 2015 Midweek Motorsport Christmas Quiz. Yes. Uh, such as we can't talk how, about that. How quite do they quite yet? How do they send in okay. questions? Mm-hmm. And uh, when's it going to be? Well, the date we had provisionally set aside for it was Thursday the 9th of December. Uh, yeah. But uh, John's the reason work. why we can't do it on Thursday the 9th of December isn't there? Well, well there is. Uh, and you it- won't be here. Well, quite a lot of us won't be and here, and Nick won't be here, and Johnny won't be here.
1: Well, let's uh, let's bring Graham Goodwin in uh, here uh, right now, editor of daily dot com. Uh, Graham, the uh, fifth edition of the Gulf Twelve Hours has just uh, released its its entry list uh, yesterday, I think, or was it even this morning? And and once again, it's a yeah, it's a pretty decent entry list. It's going to be around Yas Marina, which is a fantastic circuit uh, so, to have any kind of, of racing on. And uh, there's,
6: there's some good names on there. Uh, there are. I mean, it is definitely a proper motor race, a proper GT race. We know this because the first name on the list is AF Corsa. And of course, we as there we go. all know, the worldwide, uh, worldwide endurance racing regulations dictate you must have an AF Corsa Ferrari. And there are three of them on there. But no, it's littered with all the names you'd, you'd expect if you're looking for a very decent quality um, you know, endurance race, AF Corsa, we've got, uh, the Black Falcon team, uh, with a couple of, uh, Mercedes Benz. We've got the, the local Dragon Racing guys that, uh, listeners will know so very well from the Ready Le Mans coverage of the Dubai 24 hours, um, F Corsa, uh, around the, uh, Anthony Cheshire run Silverstone based team that, uh, uh, prepare a very good Ferrari or several Kessel racing MRS GT with their Nissan. So Nissan will be on the grid for it as well. Uh, interesting entry from Motorbase, And we'll come back to that one in a moment. Right. Um, and, and then the gaggle of John's favorite racing car and endurance, which is of course the Porsche cup car. Oh. Uh, so I think it's going to be quite, a, 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 it's going to be another good mix of cup class machinery. We know is quick and very, very reliable. Lots of GT three cars, And a couple of those Wolf CN cars that can provide some real pace, and the kind of will they, won't they, win or break? Okay, let's move on. You're listening to Midweek
1: Motorsport. It's almost ten past nine Uh, now. Earlier on uh, this week, uh, I managed to get a quick word with another world champion and uh, a world champion who has just added another fantastic uh title to his resume you know we've been following andy prio uh for the uh, whole of this season well at the weekend he was at the race of champions so my first question for him was uh, how that had gone and how had the end of the season gone
7: you know we ended the season on a high we won the last elms race and in, in the z4 in, in um in esteril and and of course uh just hot off the, off the press, the Race of Champions win for the Nations Cup, which was uh, absolutely awesome on uh, Friday night. So I'm a happy bunny.
1: I, I want to go into great detail about the yeah. Olympic Stadium. I'm very envious. I've done every Race of Champions for. Oh, I think the last 10 years, since we were at Wembley the last time, in London the last time, obviously we had a clash this weekend, so I couldn't make it. I've never seen anybody other than the Germans win the Nations Cup. So, again, I'm very disappointed that I missed it. We'll get to that in a minute. You mentioned Esteril and the Z4. Great way to end the season. And, unfortunately, the last race for Mark VDS, as as the, the team's been wound up a little bit in a, a, a bit of controversy, but take nothing away from them. Great season for them. Just a little bit short in the championship, but a fantastic last victory for you, mate.
7: Yes, matey, it was great. I mean, you know, the Marv EDS yes. team was fantastic, and they won the Spar 24 this year, and, uh, you know, they were like a formula on quality team, really. Um, and, of course, to, to, to go to Esther or knowing it's everybody's last race, is not going to be easy, but... They were ultra professional, all the guys, and um, you know, you know, we as drivers really wanted to, to uh, deliver for them because it was the last race, and we knew that this track was good for the Z4. Um, it was our best circuit of the year, and it just all came together. And uh, you know, to, to cross the line or to finish, you know, to finish the race, win, win, win the race for, for BMW and for Mark VDS is just absolutely awesome. And. Uh, you know, it was a tough one. It was very changeable conditions. Mm. I was on slicks on a wet track, and you know, um, it was very tough. But I, I really got my act together and uh, had a great stint. Took a lot of time out of uh, out of the guys that were leading, and, and managed to steal the lead and, and drive away and hand over to Jesse for him to finish. So it was a good stint for me. Very, very nice stint, and uh, really one that I was very happy with. And uh, great way to end the season. Just two points off winning the championship. Oh, no.
1: I oh, know how annoying how annoying was that uh, you, you talked about the changeable conditions and you know your background as I think many people probably remember you came from hill climb uh, that was your first uh, experience of motorsport where you don't get the chance to drive round and round and practice it it's literally get on it and deal with it when you get to it um Mm. That has stood you in good stead in those intermediate conditions and changeable conditions down the years. And I would have thought, coming back to last weekend, was pretty decent training for Racer Champions. Because effectively what you've got there is, get out in a car that's not warmed up, on a track that you don't know what the conditions are, you kind of know which way it goes, because you've had a little bit of practice on it, but ultimately, you're just dealing with every corner as you come to it, aren't you?
7: You are, it is. It's exactly right, John, you know... Um, Those conditions I just love when it's a greasy track on flicks and, uh, you know, you're just arriving and and driving on pure intuition. And um, very, very similar conditions, well, not conditions, but it's a very similar situation this weekend. It was a little sprint, you know, and I started in hill climbs and sprinting and you turn into the first corner in a hill climb and and you're just, how can I say, you're kind of anticipating what you think the grip will be. Mm. And somehow you've got to drive with pure intuition, and um, you've got to be instinctive. and As soon as you think about it, you're then too slow, or <laughs> you then overcompensate. So you yes. really are living off that intuitive, um, you know, instinct. And uh, I think that's why I really hone my skills. And, and jumping in and out of different cars this yes. weekend, and and driving, you know, against different different drivers, and having different different surfaces as well, you know. The, the conditions were really changeable this weekend, and that really, really gave me a good, um, a good benefit. You know, a good, a good, good performance game. So, uh, yeah, I was right in my element this weekend.
1: Uh, over the years, I've seen attitudes change to the race of champions. Everybody still says it's a bit of fun, but come on, let, you've been backstage <laughs> there. You know yeah. what it's like. It's all a bit of fun. There's a lot of backslap, and there's a lot of oh, let's tell me about your season. You tell me about mine, and all this yeah. that sort of stuff.
5: Uh, there's oh, an I like edge that. there
1: isn't it? There? there's a bit of an edge there people do take it quite seriously and the Germans and Vettel in particular uh, has never been beaten in the in the Race of Champions Nations Cup and not only did you guys take the the, the, the title away from him but you beat him in the head to head
7: absolutely I mean you know Seb is, is a he's a lovely guy Vettel and he's a really marvellous uh, you know, really nice guy and, and Michael was the same but by god do they take it seriously you know they they, they have a good time and uh, they enjoy enjoy the event like we all do but they are super competitive and don't get me don't get it wrong you know don't don't mistake you know also all the other drivers like jensen and you know massa and and you know grosjean they're all super competitive everybody see when you get in the car you are 100%. I mean, you just need mm. to look at our eyes on the start. They're like golf balls, you know. Yeah. We just want to win. I mean, you put, a, put any sportsman in any competitive in any situation, whether it's table tennis, Monopoly, um, you know, or squash or, or, or competition running or whatever, they absolutely want to win, and, uh, and especially when you put them in a race car. So as much as we're all having a nice time and we're all really friendly with each other, uh, the nice thing is when there's no politics so everybody's having a great yes, time good point. but they all really want to win um, and you know if you don't win it doesn't matter it's not career ending but it, it, it's pride Yes, and, uh, and that's what everybody um, you know that's why everybody wants to feel good about themselves at the end of the year and you put yourself out there you're racing and you're, you're racing against guys that you know from multiple disciplines Yes, um, and, and that's something that's really nice as well so it has gained a lot of traction in the last few years. race champions has become more and more professional. I would say more and more competitive. I've done it five times now, mm. and each time gets tougher. So you've got to be more on your A game, you know, if you want to uh, if you want to win. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. Though. It was good fun in the Olympic Stadium. It was absolutely oh. awesome. Great crowd and really lovely atmosphere to, to drive both in Wembley and. And the Olympic Stadium now, you know, I've driven in, in the UK now three times in London in the race of champions. It's a very privileged position to be in, really. The the,
1: uh, the other reason I was very envious is because uh, this year, Intercontinental Hotel Group uh, looked after all of the hotel bookings, so I know that you were well looked after uh, there. Uh, I, I, wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't mind um, a, a little thought from you. You have done it before. It was a bit of a change of... Um, a change of format this year although it looked fairly similar instead of side by side both going in the same direction it was like a a cycle pursuit Uh, so you were going in opposite directions now did that make it easier or harder in terms Mm -hmm. of what you were doing against your teammate or has that never really been something that has bothered you, you know, you don't look to the side, you're not on exactly the same track for people that don't know, but you were going in opposite directions this year. Easier,
7: harder, did that work for you? What do you think? um, It was different, but you you know what, John, you soon get your eye in for those sort of situations, so I was always judging at one certain point of where I was compared to to my competitor, and, you know, you soon get your eye in. I missed the jump. I liked. I used to like the jump. That mm. was good fun coming over the top, getting oh, yeah, across. Um, but my back enjoyed not not <laughs> having the jump this year, so that was good. Um, but the track was really nice. It had a good little flow to it. And I know when you watch it on TV or you're watching it maybe in live, it, it doesn't look as fast. But when you're in the car, Ugh. and even and I had some really nice passengers with me this year, and they were really blown away with actually how fast it felt, how close the walls we were running, and I know it's second and third gear, but you're doing 60, 70 mile an hour in places um, with no runoff. It's good oh. fun. I mean, we, we all really, really enjoyed it. I think the track had a really nice float and, and the stadium was well attended on Saturday. And, you know, there's lots and lots of really sort of, uh, it's one of the only events where you actually hear the crowd when uh, you're in the car. Like for the point. final, I could actually hear people shouting my name. <sighs> um you know egging me on and when i crossed the finish line i can hear the crowd how never fantastic get that normally in a, in a in a race situation you
1: you had a yeah, decent goodness. run in the champion of champions as well in the, the in the individual side of things yep. um yep. didn't didn't quite get that but had yep. a pretty good run
7: i had a good run i mean i got um i got beaten by al uh, Al Buncan is a great little driver oh he's there. a good little uh, peddler isn't he? he he's a good peddler and um it was in the Mercedes, and in all fairness, I hadn't driven that car since first practice on Friday when I did two laps in the car. And so I was a little bit new. So it took me a race to get up to speed. So I lost the first one, I won the second one, and then the third one, the decider, I just ran a little bit wide. But, you know, Al was super quick, um, and he's super quick. And, um, you know, that's the nice thing with race Champions. You, you can be, you know, you can, you can race against you know, Vettel and, you know, in the past, base against Schumacher and Loeb and, you know, you can beat these guys. They are beatable, although they're very professional, very difficult to beat. And that's great for, 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 for the careers, you know, for, for someone like Al who's you know, he's still making his way up there. He's got, you know, he's got a factory driver in this and, you know, but he, he's still sort of trying to build his profile in his career. And You know, Jensen was great to let him drive with him and, uh, you know, those sort of situations are just great at the race of champions. You get yeah. to race against the best guys in the world. But yeah, I went down in the in the in the quarterfinals semifinals. I I made the final eight and, and that was the first race I'd lost since I started that weekend. Yes. So I wasn't disappointed.
1: Eight in a row, mate, that's pretty that's pretty impressive. And a and Butland and I think Coulthard in in that run uh, as yep. well, all of whom have been very good. There in the yeah. past. Uh, hopefully, it won't clash with anything uh, next year, and I'll get to come back uh, and yeah. see. It. I'm not sure yeah. if it's going to be. Uh, it was the last ever event, of course, in the Olympic Stadium, as it was for the Olympics, because it's been turned into a, a football stadium for West Ham now, and, that, and that's one of the reasons it was was pulled forward a bit. But I do think it's got, it's still got legs, it's still got relevance that event, and, and hopefully, yeah. it'll be back next year, whether it's in the UK or further afield.
7: You know what, the fans love it and let's hope yes. it is in the UK because I've got to go back with Jason and defend, you know, my title good now. With the nation's cup. So uh, I definitely want to be doing it and I hope it doesn't cash with any races next year but, you know, let's hope it goes back to London because it's a beautiful city and it's, there's no better, better better, opportunities to race against, you know, the top drivers in the world in front of your home crowd. Wow, so ah, good just, stuff. Just spectacular and, you know, everybody gets close to the action and everybody feels part of the event so... Um it's not, it's not a race at the end of the day. It's not like, you know, going to Le Mans or going to a Grand Prix. But it, it's got its own unique, um, you know, appeal. And I yes, think I seeing everybody out of their comfort zone <laughs> is, is really interesting. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it's amazing that the good guys still manage to win, like Seb Vettel, you know. Well, that's um, because he, they're
1: good, though, isn't it? And, and you know, you've, you've put it there, people outside of their comfort zone. Everybody thinks yeah. nowadays... I, I, I remember having a conversation... Um, with a number of people who do multiple different uh, activities in in motorsport, including uh, um, uh, Stefan Sarazan, who does a bit of uh, rallying to a very high standard. And he says it's a shame that more drivers don't do it, but in a very competitive business, they're afraid of being beaten by people who, in their terms, you know, Vettel's not going to go out and do... A British Championship Rally or a French Championship Rally, and be beaten by somebody who nobody's heard of, and I understand exactly. that completely. Is that the last? Is that the last uh, last bit of competitive driving for you this season, Andy?
7: It is, maybe. Yeah, that's it for me. So, I'm, what do you um, do um, now I'm at then? I'm Guernsey. I'm looking at my lovely fire cracking away. And lovely. It's probably the first week I've been at home for quite some time. Where I'm going to spend more than two or three nights in my own bed. And um, so that's cool. And, uh, you know, it's um, yeah, that's my last one out of the way. And now I'm just getting myself ready, training and stuff and getting getting fit for next year and hopefully getting myself over to uh, Daytona. That's on my radar oh, okay. uh, in, in January. So um, fingers crossed on that one. And uh, lots of exciting things to look forward to next year.
1: Well, hopefully we'll be talking to you again, Andy. You know, you're very, very welcome on the show. Best for the holiday season to you, to the very lovely Joe and the rest of the family. Yeah. And we still have to have a word with uh, Prior Jr. Yeah. Get Seb on and uh, talk about his burgeoning uh, burgeoning racing driving career. Uh,
7: let's do that, buddy. I'd love love to uh, to, to give, you, give you an update on Seb and what he's doing with Janetta and, and everything next year. He did really well this year and... And um, there's lots, lots, lots going on in the Prio household. But thanks to you guys as well for following me, Radio Le Mans, all the all the team there. Really appreciate it, guys. And um, you know, let's hope to see us all out there racing next year in something really exciting, eh?
1: Enjoy the short off time that you have, Andy, and come back racing just as quickly and just as safely as you have done this year. Cheers, mate.
7: Yeah, I will Thanks, buddy. I'll take care of you soon. Thank you.
1: Uh, Andy Prio. Uh, CBE or OBE? I should know that, shouldn't I? Uh, speaking to us earlier on in the week, and more uh, from Andy in the coming weeks here on Midweek Motorsport. I Could...
3: He was a CBE and then got another honour to make him an OBE. Alright, he's had both then. Excellent stuff. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport, 25 minutes
1: past nine. Uh, still to come, our exclusive, our world exclusive. But next, it's the Man of the Year nominations.
3: Johnny Palmer's just reappeared beside me what in a kind of Harry
1: Potter um, style invisibility sort of cloak up, style he? Yeah.
3: It, in that when I started playing the music he wasn't there but then he, I turned back and he was
1: is he wearing
2: pyjamas is he ready for bed
3: no <laughs> with a pipe
1: by the way this no music pipe. came
2: out I, I actually thought Johnny was like prancing around the living room on a pretend horse at this point with this Almost. music
1: in my pajamas. More certainly Graham That's Goodwin ridiculous. is with us as well from dailysportscar.com good evening Graham Good evening again. Uh, and, uh, well, let's, for those that don't know, the Man of the Year show is something that we've done for the last few years. It's uh, ably supported by iRespect, our official eyewear supplier here at com and Radio Show Limited. Uh, Jonathan and the rest of the team uh, have had a brilliant year. I do believe, actually, that Lewis Hamilton is wearing iRespect now. Where Radio him. Show goes, Lewis Hamilton Followers. Uh, there are several categories in the man of the year show not all of them are men uh, tell us all about it tim greer
3: we have six categories uh for man of the year woman of the year young driver of the year team of the year car of the year and race of the year uh, each of our four guests that's you john uh you nick you graham and you johnny uh will pick a nominee in each category uh giving us a total of 24 possible options and then it's over to you, the listener. Uh, you will vote for those uh, nominees uh, using the power of Twitter. Mm. Uh, and uh, votes will close uh, just before uh, each one is announced. Uh, the way to vote is to tweet at Radio Le Mans with the hashtag MOTY for Man yeah. of the Year. And then the surnames of the uh, people and names of the uh, cars, teams and races uh, that uh, you want to vote for. So let's find out who the nominees are. First of all, in the Man of the Year category. You
2: need
1: to go to something first.
3: Who do you want to start with? I'm sorry, I want to start with uh, Graham. Graham
1: Goodwin,
6: Man of the Year. Uh, Well, uh, you know me, guys, at this stage. I've always got a short list in my mind. I'm going to cut through it. There's one that I think shines out, but I strongly suspect that John is going to choose that one. (laughs) I'm going to go, I'm not going to go for Mark Webber. I'm not going to go for Nick Tandy because I think they're going to get their nominees elsewhere. I'm not going to go for Brendan Hartley either. All three of those guys, I think thoroughly deserve it. I'm going to go for Timo Bernhard Mm. because, uh, because of what he's meant to that team. Uh, he's the guy that everybody references when they talk about what's gelled that, uh, that, that World Championship winning 17 The glue 17 that puts
1: the team, team together is what was described as both Brendan and, uh, and Mark, in fairness. And
6: by the way, top bloke as well. Yeah, um, one of the nicest people in any paddock you are ever like to meet. So for me, 17-year um, Porsche veteran <sighs> factory driver. Timo Bernhard, 17 years in one team and you become a world champion at the end of that, that, that point. That's that's brilliant. So Timo, my man of the year.
1: By the way, um, uh, Andy Priot is an MBA. Uh, yes. Nick, uh, I
2: am going to perhaps break with tradition because the man I think is man of the year did not win anything this year. Well, that's all races. right, but he is still my man of the year. In many ways, he's my man of the last 15 years, and for reasons that we I don't need explaining, it's Valentino Rossi. Yeah. Uh, at 36 years old, to mount a challenge which was going all the way to the last lap of the last race, uh, finish second, and provide by far, sorry, Graham, the most entertaining, entertaining series of any this world, is why I think Valentino despite not winning his 10th World Championship, which was Man of the Year.
1: Only three times was he off the podium this year, which is a remarkable... And we said halfway through the season, if he can keep this up through the year, what a season it will be. Johnny Palmer.
4: Well, because uh, Graham has allowed uh, the door open, in a sense, for me, because he didn't go for Mark Webber, I'm going to go for Mark Webber because... A splendid drive at the weekend, obviously, to nurse that car home, the 17, with all manner of problems for it. But also four wins in the World Endurance Championship. And I think to come back from a horrendous crash in the equivalent round last year at Brazil and then come home with the title, along with Brendan, along with uh, Timo Bernhardt, I think that's a big plus point. Mark Webber for me. And uh, John. proved prove most
1: of the F1 press call he hadn't actually retired.
3: Yes. <laughs>
4: Are you having a vote this year, Tim, or not?
3: Uh, I'll vote. I'm not going to nominate. Uh, John, who's your nominee?
1: My nominee for the Irish Pit Man of the Year is a guy who has won in three different categories, uh, including outright at Le Mans, uh, including outright at Petit Le Mans, although one in a P1 car and one in a GT car. And, of course, it has to be a Bedford's... uh, Bedford's own Nick Tandy. I think he has been extraordinary this year. He's also been big enough to uh, accept that uh, his teammates have played such a large part in what he is doing. Woman of the Year. I
6: I, I, I was was astonished. I didn't know the Bedford vans had a factory team.
1: (laughs) Marshall Pruitt wants to uh, add a MOTY candidate. Can he do that? Uh, Why not? Yes, Marshall, good evening. Marshall Pruitt from Racer.com. Is he there? He is. Hello, Marshall.
3: Not hearing he's, Marshall at the moment. He's not there. Right, uh,
1: hang on. I can get Marshall.
3: Stand so, by. um Let's go on to our women, because we're running out of time. Okay. Uh, So, Nick, who have you chosen?
2: I'm uh, voting for a woman who beat many hundreds of men to win a championship, and that's Chantel Kroll, the champion driver in the Coventic Championship. We Ah, covered so So
3: enjoyably on Radio Mm -hmm. M1 this year. Very good. And, uh, Johnny, who have you got?
4: Uh, uh, Excuse me, a young girl that you won't know an awful lot about, only 14 years old. She did half of the Ginetta Junior Championship this year, but along the way got two wins and four podiums and ended up 10th in the championship, uh, just about. Sophia Flerch
6: from Germany. Graham? Uh, quick one from me, uh, Beth Peretta. I think she's been a standard bearer for women in the sport, and with the Grace Project uh, heading towards Indy, I think it takes another step forward to encouraging more women into the sport at a higher level. So Beth gets it from me.
3: Uh, John, Ashley Friedberg for you. Really?
1: All
6: right, How okay. <laughs> all
3: right then, uh, I'll not bother
1: saying it then. Marshall Pruitt has a uh, has a nomination for Man of the Year. Marshall.
5: Evening all. Oh, Evening MP. Hey. Hey. Sebastian Bourdais.
1: Ooh, Ooh. Okay. International.
5: Two. Excellence. Two IndyCar wins. The most dominant win of the year at Milwaukee crushed the field. The Frenchman destroying the IndyCar field on an oval, and so two IndyCar wins plus. Two uh, IMSA wins with Action Express, Good by far the most dominant solo drive of any one of the season at Sebring in million degree uh, weather, uh, and helped <laughs> Action Express to repeat as teams champion, drivers champion, and win the North, uh, Tequila Patron North American Endurance Cup as well. I don't and two top tens in V8 Supercars. Tell me who did. Tell me who topped that this year. That's impressive. Have you got a woman of the year as well? I, I am 100% behind Graham on Beth. Okay. I, mean, I, wish, I, th- I think right. she has no, that's more news without a race team than anyone else in racing, period, man or woman. Okay, let's we'll move, move on, on to... to young
3: drivers. Uh, start mm-hmm. with you, John.
1: Uh, Jamie Chadwick, uh, one of the Aston Martin Uh, young drivers, one of the Academy drivers. I spoke to her earlier in the year, was terribly impressed with her as an individual and have been most impressed with her as a driver. She has a future. Remember the name Jamie Chadwick. Uh,
3: Graham. Graham Goodwin. Hello, Graham. Okay, we'll move on to Nick. Hello, sorry, I'm back.
6: (laughs) It's Charlie Robertson, the ELMS LMP2 champion with Sir Chris Hoy and New car, new series for for uh, for Charlie. First time in a prototype, and also alongside somebody draw drew with him an awful lot of media attention. Charlie did his talking on track and beat some very good drivers to take that championship.
3: You meant to say LMP3, didn't you, Graham? Yes, he did. Uh, did I say P2? P3. Yes, P3. Uh, Nick,
2: uh, Max Verstappen, the man who scored world championship points uh, before his 18th birthday and before he passed his road test. And, uh, in fact, he has single-handedly energised an entire country. I work with Dutch people, and all they want to talk to me about is Max Verstappen. Right,
3: thank you. Uh, Johnny Palmer.
4: Uh, an 18-year-old monegasque driver that the Radio Le Mans team saw at Silverstone at the start of the year. He got eight back-to-back podiums, including a 1-2 and a third place at Poe. And Tim's just seen him finish second in the Macau Grand Prix. Charles Leclerc. Oh, OK. MP, have you got a young driver, got to be under 21
1: at the start of the season?
5: Oh, well, uh, I'm not sure about... Well, I think we're close. Spencer Piggott, your new uh, Indy Lights champion, who is graduating to IndyCar. First year in Lights, displays some senior drivers uh, with six wins, won half the season as a rookie, and is moving on to IndyCar. That's a quick mover right there. Right. Team of the year. We'll start with Nick this time. Uh,
2: This is quite simple. It's Mercedes, AMG Mercedes F1. Total domination in... What is it, in many ways, still uh, a very difficult part of the sport to dominate against?
3: John,
1: you got there injured. <laughs> uh, my team of the year is Action Express for all of the words that Marshall said earlier. Uh, won the championship uh, in the Tudor United Sports Guard Championship and won the North American Championship. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult championship because a lot of people have very similar equipment. They execute it the
4: best. Simple for me, Action Johnny. Express. Porsche team Manti for finally breaking the Ferrari strung a hold on the World Endurance Championship. That's the Ooh, first good. time Porsche have ever won the WEC.
1: And Olaf Manti's retiring as well. so He is. Graham?
3: Well,
6: well it's an expansion of what uh, Johnny said. It's Porsche Motorsport as a whole for both Uh, Success in LMP1 and GTE Pro, winning six titles, drivers' teams and manufacturers' titles in the two professional classes in what is widely regarded as the most competitive season of sports car racing for several generations. And Marshall? Marshall?
5: Joe Gibbs Racing. Ooh. What they achieved this year in the Nassi car was incredibly <laughs> impressive, plus the uh, rally by young Mr. Bush. I know a lot of folks are not happy about him missing 11 races and winning the title regardless. he When he was on track, that guy won and won some more. Our next category is Car of the Year. Uh, we'll start
3: with Graham this time.
6: Only one for me, and uh, we've been screaming about it, John and I, all year, and correctly so. It's the Porsche 911i Hybrid, the most yeah. technologically advanced uh, race car on the planet. Better than that, the technology, once that thing starts moving, is all but irrelevant. It's just an awesome race car.
3: Nick?
2: Uh, the Mercedes uh, W06, because again, it's bloody good. Johnny? Johnny.
4: I've gone for the Lamborghini Huracan because it's Ooh. brought uh, a really good one-make series, I think, at cup level to the world of motorsport. And also in a well-known endurance series, three pole positions this year and the win to start the year at Monza. Fabio Babini, Jeroen Mull and Andrew Palmer. A great-looking car as well, which uh, takes on Lamborghini's you know, next iteration from the Gallardo. I agree. Uh, Marshall?
5: Nissan GTR LM. Nis- no, I'm just kidding. The uh, <laughs>
4: Porsche
5: <laughs> hybrid. Yeah. Good lord, uh, that is the right. car the car of the year, if not the decade.
3: And John,
1: uh, my, I've got a, a different reason for mine. Mine this year has been the most remarkable car in motorsport history. Because not, not only, Is it the MG ZS? Apart from that, actually, that, that made me look good, so that's that's a good reason. Uh, David Smith's MG ZS did make me look good at Anglesey. Uh, not only has it provided us with the best radio traffic all year, but it's made two world champions at, invisible. Uh, the McLaren MP430 for entertainment value on the radio and making two world champions invisible. That's my car of the year.
3: Our final category is Race of the Year. Uh, We'll start with Nick.
2: I don't think any of you really need to bother with this one because it's a Flip Island uh, MotoGP. It's already won, and what came after (laughs) just made it even better. You haven't seen it by the video.
1: Uh, I've still got that that video on my DVR, and I find it very hard to dispute what Nick says. Um, However, in the interest of doing something slightly... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> slightly different alright uh, slightly different I'm going to say um, in particular the first three hours of the Silverstone FIAWAC event that opened the season just remarkable Graham Damn
6: it, you said exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Sorry, sorry Graham, but uh, sorry. Just, for, just to mix it up a little bit, because certainly it's been a soundbite that John and I have used correctly all year. We said at the end of the six hours of Lagos last year, it was the best six-hour race we'd ever seen. By the time we'd finished the Spa six hours, it was the third best <laughs> Spa six hours. Uh, both those two opening races, absolutely astonishing. It's set up a fantastic season. John, you're going for Silverstone. I'll tip Spa.
3: Another, Marshall, The uh, you have
6: race of the year?
5: I'm in agreement with Hindy, Silverstone WC, but I wouldn't limit it to any hour range. I'd say all six hours in some way, shape, or form. (laughs) Just phenomenal. How's this? When I came back to the States, it's all anyone wanted to speak about in American sports cars or Indy cars. That race, boy, just a monster. That's a very good point.
4: And Johnny. Johnny? I was so close to going for the brisker Formula 1 Stock Car European Championship final at Northampton in July. Outstanding, we were there. It was brilliant. The <laughs> Inter- F2 race was pretty good as well, in fairness. Into turn one on the opening lap, five cars oh. virtually actually on their side as they climbed the wall, and then a superbly timed move from Tom Harris, who won the race, shunting two of his opponents out of the way with a circuit to go. He's doing all of this without but, a script. But, controversially... <laughs> he's doing it in his mind's I, eye. I, West Midland, Johnny Palmer? I was commentating on it. Uh, he was? Controversially, I'm going to go for the very final, the very final, British Touring Car Championship Race of the Mm. Year Gordon Shedden from 19th position to 4th to win the title that was a heck of a drive Mm.
3: there is one more category that we need to talk about which is the I Respect Listener Award
1: now this is a little bit different because we don't get to nominate for that that is down to you and it we work this in a similar way to the FIA Personality of the Year Award, although hopefully you'll actually
3: pick people who have got personalities. Um, how does this work, Tim? Uh, so for this one, uh, you need to email, uh, email? at Radio Mans, oh, yeah. Sorry, tweet at Radio Mans, Yeah. Um, with uh, your nomination. But instead of using the hashtag M-O-T-Y, uh, yeah. you use... Uh, E L E R L E R L A. Sorry. Yeah,
1: Irish respect Listeners Award. Yes. Yes. Hashtag E R L E R L A. Yeah. And what we will do is, from the nominations that you send us from this evening, if you're listening live, um, or Wednesday, the whatever the date it is today, twenty. So you mean next Wednesday? Yeah. To, we will compile a list and the top candidates will then be voted on in the live programme for the Man of the Year, OK? So think about that and start emailing or tweeting, excuse me, at uh, Radio Le Mans, hashtag E-R-L-A, and we will compile the top candidates and you will get a secondary vote on that in the live show.
3: And all the details of uh, who's nominated who and how to vote will be on the website Later today, Where's right? We've show? got more
1: sports car news, and we have to crack on here. Marshall's on the line, we'll get to do American stuff in the moment. Our world exclusive uh, coming to you. We started to talk a little bit about it before, but the reason that we are moving our uh, uh, Christmas, Christmas quiz, quiz uh, is because the team will not be in the UK for the first time ever and for. Uh, The fifth iteration. We will be in Abu Dhabi at Yas Marina to cover the Gulf 12 hours, the Gulf double six as it will be uh, for you live. There'll be streaming video and it will be audio here from the Thursday of race week. Uh, We'll be there doing midweek motorsport. Now, because of the time difference and similar to what we do at Le Mans, Midweek Motorsport will uh, go out earlier in the day and then will be repeated at the normal time of 8 o'clock UK uh, on the evening time. So if you want to listen to us live, you'll have to tune in uh, a little bit earlier, sometime around uh, midday UK, uh, and then we will repeat it again at 8 o'clock, which is 3 p.m. Eastern. So just like we do when we're at Le Mans, uh, we'll be doing it live from on-site, bringing you all the atmosphere, uh, and you will get the normal midweek week motorsport that week. Uh, it will just be from a different place. We're very excited, uh, and thank you to Andrea Ficcarelli and the rest of the team. For making it happen, uh, a 22-car field and full live coverage of the Gulf 12 Hours for the first time here on RadioLamont.com with streaming video too. We'll have all the embedded video on the site. Graham Goodwin is still with us. We're excited about that. You've been to that event before. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, fabulous it's, place. Uh, I've not been to Yas Marina before. Very much looking forward to it. Before we let you go, very quick word: uh, young driver test, or at least. Um, different driver test at uh, the Bahrain WEC on the Sunday and then a Dunlop test on the Monday quick round up of what you saw there
6: well, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for Dunlop per uh, right. night day and wetting the track and the overnight sessions as wow. well. Uh, for the the new uh, driver test, well, the fastest over the day was Juan Pablo Montoya. No race deal in prospect at the moment for Juan Pablo. Mm-hmm. No further testing planned. Uh, they did the Macaulay simulation at the end to give a great headline for Porsche. Not like they didn't need. Uh, they they hadn't had plenty it of had headlines.
1: It had and the, the track was a bit cleaner and a bit about a second it quicker. Was. Than it had been in the
6: 9, I think, was his time Still on low tanks and new tyres. But shouldn't ignore either that uh, there were good times too from the likes of Alex Leon in the Toyota. Uh, Sam Bird did a, a very good job too uh, aboard the, the Toyota. Richie Stanaway in the Audi was quick. Um, and, of course, Mitch Evans in the Porsche was quick. Uh, lots of other guys from the GP2 field having a look and having a go in uh, LMP2 machinery. Uh, some interesting names as well aboard the factory Porsches, Philip Eng, at Katzberg, David Heimer, Hansen, mm-hmm. looking for a an opportunity to get uh, some time at the will of a Porsche ahead of the decision he's got to make about where he's going to be for the WEC.
1: Did I in see the... that uh, that Roman Rusinov was in the BR01 as well?
6: That was in the Dunlop tyre test and uh, Roman came up to me with a grin as wide as his face <laughs> uh, which isn't that wide, uh, but uh, but uh, very surprised uh, to have the uh, the invitation. Uh, whilst when he arrived for the Dunlop test to test the br one told me that uh, you know pretty impressed with it. It's a good car. It will get better. The 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 backstory, by the way, is that uh, Roman and the commercial representative of S&P Racing, um, the uh, last year's uh, champion, of course. Uh, in uh, WEC, have not really seen eye to eye for over a, sec- a decade. against so lobin and he, not the best of pals, but he went out there, did a fairly good st- uh, stint in it. We had Gustavo Menezes made uh, uh, a LMP2 testing debut with the Signitech Alpine. But the really interesting part of it was that Dunlop were testing rubber on both a pair of Aston Martin V8 Vantages, and also on all three LMP1 privateer cars. There is a backstory. backstory. Uh, the LMP1 privateer, privateer cars are cars closer cars to, to the spec to the of spec the 2017 LMP2 than the current breed are, so it helps tyre development with that. Um, but, of course, the P1 privateer teams are going to be taking a close look at the uh, the kind of performance and durability of the Dunlop rubber, I'm sure. Uh, in GTE Pro, they'd already tried a Porsche and a Ferrari. They needed some data for the LMS spec tyres for Aston Martin. Uh, I think what, certainly what Dunlop would like to see is that uh, some of the LMS customers choose to stay with Dunlop should they be lucky enough mm. to get um, a Le Mans entry. And there might well be the odd one or two people from the LMS looking for the odd one or two outings in European WEC events too john but uh, i think we're about to see a resurgence uh from dunlop it might take a year or two before we've got a real tire war in gte pro but i think it's coming and that is a pretty mouth-watering proposition
1: a couple of interesting faces seen around the WEC paddock as well which will leave to another day not our announcements to make and i'm trying to uh, to get a comment uh from a, a couple of them but i think safe to say graham that gp2 and gp3 have never felt drivers and teams have never felt more welcome in a paddock uh
6: it was uh, a very oddly queue wasn't it i think whether or not the catering was better on our side of the paddock i don't know but certainly <sighs> it i thought it was a great race meeting it was they were you know it was a really it hung together well um, you know, we've had all the Mickey taking about which is the feeder series to what, but the reality is, we're hearing from teams and drivers is that there's something real there in terms of progression and career track. And, uh, you know, we heard this from the likes of Sam Hignett and from Arden with their programme coming together. The but at the moment, at the moment, John, and hopefully you can read really about it on DSC in the next couple of days, I'm putting together what looks like a very healthy list of prospects uh, in terms of teams for the 2016 WEC uh, and it includes a substantial uplift in the number of prototypes we should see next season.
1: Graham, thank you very much for being with us tonight and for your man of the year nominations, Graham Goodwin of DailySportsCar.com joining us from Supreme Headquarters Endurance Directive. Marshall Pruitt is still with us. And uh, finally, Marshall, we got at least four of the drivers uh, from Ford at the weekend. Uh, just wrapping up on a bit of uh, news from around the WeatherTech sports car championship paddock after the uh, after the daytona test what do you know
5: busy time Heidi pretty amazing with less than half the field there yet good Lord it's hard to stay on top of all the developments uh, we saw Porsche was not there in any uh, any official capacity or with any Privateer is using new GT3 Porsches in the GT Daytona class, but we know uh, that should be rectified here shortly. Quite interesting, though, lots of great drivers in that Ford, uh, in the Ford pits, for example, uh, we saw of the folks who haven't been announced, but were there and weren't hiding Sebastian Bourdais was one our mate Marino Franchitti was another Olivier Pla Uh, we also saw Billy Johnson there can't say if Billy will be uh, racing but uh, I definitely hope he's signed to some form of contract Mm. to help with testing and development or otherwise great to see there and uh, we do know that there was at least one driver competing uh, in Bahrain if not more who will be a part of the Ford family here soon so uh, plenty of good stuff on uh, on that front plus the uh good lord that ford is fast heindy uh, had a great conversation with simon pagino who was confirmed as part of the action express team in the number 31 and both simon and i reckon that it's almost as if we need a gt hypercar class so was
1: anybody putting a stopwatch on it marshall i know there was no official timing but somebody surely must have had a a bit of hand timing if nothing else on various people out there
5: well, let's see. Uh, we could say, and this might not be, this isn't a secret, that our friends at Pratt and Miller uh, are very capable with timing <laughs> and scoring, and do a very good job, whether it's sports car or Indy car or anything, of uh, gauging uh, the speed of their competitors and. Um, I, we could hint or infer that their uh, their modern timing equipment suggested uh, our friends at Ford uh, were the fastest yeah. uh, in dry conditions at the two-day test in Daytona. Also, uh, from my own fastest stopwatch... Fastest GT uh, LM car. LM, correct. Yeah. GT LM car. Apologies. And my stopwatch also suggested that the Corvette C7Rs, which uh, had a great start, to 2015 and then tapered off very quickly, uh, that they were quick as well. The only other GTLM car there, Heindy, was the GT 3 2 GTLM Convert, mm. uh, the twin-turbo V8 BMW M6. And that car did lots of huffing and puffing. Uh, didn't make a whole lot of speed. Uh, they had some axle issues, broke a little bit of equipment. Uh, also working through some electronics stuff. Might sound like I'm stating big problems but good lord mate it's, it's november this yeah. is the exact time when you're figuring that stuff out so and, and
1: also three... in fairness mp its predecessor was never quick at that track they tend to go for a car do they not that has a lot of downforce and therefore is quick through the twisty bits so or mm,
5: not necessarily its friend uh, it's also a big car by yeah. comparison compared to the other vehicles. In, in gtlm it's a big car. Obviously, it's, its size does not change in GTD or in GT3 specs, but we also know that the rules in GT3 pretty much allow the rule to play with weight, power, or even arrow to nullify any of its frontal area issues. Not sure how much they'll be able to overcome that at a place like Daytona, which is a big uh, basic circular drag race, but should be good elsewhere. Uh, it was also interesting to see... The, uh, the Lamborghini, which ran and ran and ran for the first time mm-hmm. uh, at Daytona. The new Audi, the 2016 Audi R8 did the same thing, ran and ran. Uh, it was just great to see some of the new cars come out. Uh, We also had TRG there, which was running with their Aston Martin, which at least right now is not expected to be back uh, unless the official manufacturer uh, contract and uh, money is exchanged, but we hope that would happen. Saw the Mercedes running, the new Mercedes AMG GT3 car, looked like a million bucks, sounded great, was fairly quick as well, Uh, wasn't? Extra swift on the infield, Hindy, but it definitely had some get-up and go in the straights.
1: What do you got from IndyCar? It seems ages since we've talked about single-seaters in the states. Their season seems to have finished a year ago. Uh, what's what's going on in the world of single-seaters?
5: Well, we had. Uh... Some sad news confirmed this week that Chip Ganassi Racing has split with Sage Karam. They did Whoa. not renew his options. So, yeah, young, young guy who I'm a big fan of. I think he's done lots of great stuff. And I, I think very few would argue that he uh, deserves a uh, another shot uh, in IndyCar. That his manager, uh, Mickey Ryan, who you may know, know Dario's me. manager... Yeah. Dan Weldon's manager, a a solid operator, Uh, he's been working, continues to work with the team to try and find money to keep Sage in a car, maybe for the 500, maybe for a little bit more, Global Rallycross, maybe, sports cars, who knows? Uh, They want to keep working together, but the the takeaway here is, with nothing to offer right now, Ganassi said, hey, there's no need to keep the kid bound to us Uh, when we don't have anything for him, so... Uh, that's a fairly big news right there mm-hmm. a little bit of a funny sidebar sage has also been doing some iRacing racing in the uh the i indycar league and just had a bad race of pocono so it's been <laughs> kind of a bad way you know whether it's real and it was in the uh, virtual chip ganassi racing number eight as well so whether it's real chip or virtual chip it's been a rough week for sage but we love the kid and, and hope the things work out well for him obviously
1: keep an eye open for iRacing racing race champions uh coming up in the next few weeks as well good friend of Mind. chris constantine letting me uh know uh, about that and we'll uh, we'll give you a little bit more news about that as it gets a bit closer early part of next month it'll be in the early hours of a uh, wednesday into a thursday morning always worth a look uh anything else man
5: yeah we had indycar come out with some very timely news one we've been kind of expecting but weren't exactly sure what they're going to come up with and this is a response to the two scariest parts of the 2015 season. That was the three flights during practice uh, at the Indy 500, and then also the crash that killed Justin Wilson. What would IndyCar do to try and improve safety, prevent uh, bits flying off of cars and striking those behind, etc.? So they announced that they will be uh, adding uh, additional tethers to the car, to the nose, that's what struck Justin and killed him. Unfortunately, they'll be adding additional tethers to the nose and to the the Kardashians, the rear wheel pods, and the rear wing beam which connects the wheel pods to the car they'll be doing that for the super speedways uh, another thing they'll be doing which is great and this is for the super speedways but i believe well all, i think all these these things will end up becoming full time additions for every round yeah. and that is uh, their version of nascar roof flaps and oh. uh, obviously there's no roof on an indy car but what they've done is the rear beam wing, which they call it, that's the piece that sits below the actual rear wing, extends out, kind of is is flush with the tunnels, the exit tunnels for the underbody. The, those are the pieces that extend out and hold the rear wheel pods. Yes. Well, what they've come up with are uh, NASCAR roof flap style hinges uh, and uh, extra carbon pieces that sit on top of those beams. So in a rearward motion with the car basically rotating back those uh, air pressure will f- hit those and flip them up and so effectively block uh, a fairly decent portion between the bottom uh, oh, yeah. the bottom of the rear wing and the uh, lower rear wing beam itself. So those two items are meant to uh, hopefully increase the takeoff speed for an Indy car to well above anything it could achieve. Last thing, Heidi, quickly, is they're also introducing a domed skid plate at the front of the car, which is something that actually used to have about 12 years ago yes. or so. Um, it would be a very long discussion right here, but that domed skid uh, is going to require teams to raise ride height about 9 millimeters, so it's oh, not yeah. a lot, and this is for the super speedways only, but uh, they have found that that profile also helps from a stability standpoint when the car starts to get into a significant slide or piece of yaw so take oh, yeah. away Heindy, smart in my opinion, smart changes by IndyCar, smart reactions Not they're not done, could there be canopies or other things in the future? being investigated, but at least for right now very smart moves
3: uh,
1: you're listening to Midweek Motorsport, coming to the end of the show that was Marshall Pruitt, we got some NASCAR news to finish off with Tim
3: Yes, very quickly, Carl uh, Busch is the new Bobby Labonte. Because? Uh, he's the uh, second of a pair of brothers to win a NASCAR... I don't want to say Sprint Cup Series. Championship. Championship. Top-line di- NASCAR championship.
1: And he did it missing a third of the season. Yeah,
3: That's so clever. he really shouldn't have qualified for the chase. Uh, mm. Now, earlier on, uh, I spoke to... Uh, uh, here on the Oval Correspondent, Declan Brennan, uh, and asked him his opinion, uh, which he summed up in two words. It's ridiculous. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I saw Dex tweet uh, about that
1: as well. Hey, you can only you, you can only play with the deck of cards or the hand of cards that you've yep. been given. You can't blame the driver, but you have to look at the system. Um, you know, fair play uh, to Bush. He's won the championship, but I think there's a lot of people... Uh, who are looking at that and raising more than uh, an eyebrow how's that played in the states uh, Marshall in in terms of how that that played out with a, out with a, a what, a, a, what? A, a third of the season I saw so missed by the man who ultimately wins the championship no
7: <clears throat>
5: It's the same old, same old hindy. If you are the type who looks at NASCAR and applies the same level of expectations for management, governance and sporting regularities as you would in Formula One or tennis or anything else, you're probably very upset. If you look at by like the way, you put like
1: Formula One do. next to tennis, that's quite funny.
5: Well, <laughs> if if you look at NASCAR like I do which is a great series with, that leans heavily on the entertainment size and appeasing fans, mm-hmm. those things have nothing to do with sport, then the outcome is absolutely yeah. what it should be. So I have no issue with it, but that's because I don't expect a whole lot from them as a black and white sporting uh, authority.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Marshall Prout will be back with us uh, next week. As I say, you can't blame the guy who's won the championship. Look at the way that he got there. Our big news tonight, and by the way, thanks to Annie Prio, uh, World uh, Touring Car Champion, multiple, and Kyle Wilson-Clark, now multiple uh, world champion in terms of uh, his efforts in the World Endurance Championship. Uh, If you missed the big news tonight, we will be broadcasting the Gulf 12 Hours live. Uh, We'll be live from the Yas Marina circuit for the midweek motorsport in the week of the race. Track action starts on the uh, 9th of December, so that's the 8th of December for uh, midweek motorsport, 9th of December for track action, and uh, 10th of December for two times six hour races from Yas Marina. It's exclusively live uh, with uh, sound and vision here on RadioLamont.com. But that's about all we've got time for tonight. Thanks to Graham, to Nick, to Johnny to Tim and the responsible adult, of course, Eve Hewitt. Marshall Pruitt uh, was our final guest of the evening and, as ever, uh, came and did his uh, usual brilliant job. We'll be back the same time next week, 8 o'clock in the UK. That's 3 o'clock in the afternoon if you're on the east coast of America. Do the rest of the arithmetic yourself. There's no time to explain now because after our exclusive uh, announcement tonight, the llama has gone to get some sunblock.
0: (laughs)